0: Today's podcast is sponsored in part by Your Caring Law Firm in Maitland, Florida. Do your clients need a will or trust? Has someone died and your clients need help with the endless paperwork? Do you have business owner clients trying to decide how to leave the company fairly amongst your family? Contact Your Caring Law Firm where clients are so satisfied you'll look like a hero for having referred them. Your Caring Law Firm offers probate and trust administration services throughout Florida as well as estate, asset protection, and tax planning assistance. To learn more, visit yourcaringlawfirm.com. Welcome
1: to Tax Boss. I'm Meryl Bailey in Orlando, Florida. And I'm Crystal Woodbury in Denver, Colorado. We're each licensed as attorneys and CPAs. We help our clients get the best results because we work well with their trusted advisors. Tax Boss is a podcast for advisors from multiple professions to get together to discuss common client issues and how we can work together to solve them. Today we will discuss solvency certificates. Why do attorneys request them? Crystal, I had clients come in recently for asset protection planning, and I talked to them about a solvency certificate, and they had not heard that term, nor had the financial advisor who referred them in. So I wanted to know if you use solvency certificates, and if you don't, why not? And if you do, what does yours look like?
2: Um, That's a great topic, Meryl. We don't call them solvency certificates, but we do put documents in our file that accomplish the same goal which is to make sure we've documented that the trusts aren't being set up for ill purposes.
1: Great. So the solvency certificate that we use asks the client to certify that the following is true and correct. That they, one, have no judgments against them, except, and then they have to tell us what they are, two, they have no pending lawsuits against them, except, and then they have to tell us if they have any and what they are. They have no potential lawsuits, no threatened lawsuits against them about which they know other than, you know, except, and they can tell us about it. They have no unpaid creditors except for current bills in the normal course of business or, or life, that they have no unpaid creditors except, and they have to tell us that. Five that they have no potential claims or liabilities other than regular debts in the ordinary course of business or in their personal life. And six, that they represent they've not made, nor do they contemplate making any transfer of an asset for less than fair market value for the purpose of avoiding payment of any known existing or potential creditor. And they say that they understand that I, as the attorney, am relying on this representation in connection with the work that I am doing for them.
2: So, the purpose, Merrill, of the certificate is so that you have documentation in your file that the client is not putting these assets into an irrevocable trust or some other asset protection tool to keep those assets away from known creditors or foreseeable creditors.
1: Correct. It's evidence to support the purpose of it was for estate planning purposes rather than creditor avoidance.
2: And if you didn't have that certificate or if you have the certificate and the client was not truthful on their certificate and creditors are out there and are successful in a judgment, they will be able to unravel that trust or other asset protection tool to get out those assets. Right. What I'm specifically thinking of that I've come across quite often is um, – clients who are parents or grandparents co-sign on student loans Uh, and either forget or are certain that the student is going to pay off those loans. And I would say in the last two years, I've had estates pay a dozen or so student loans off when the student has defaulted and a guarantor passed away. And we've had to pay those student loans out of the decedent's estate. So I'm wondering if that would ring true for these asset protection trusts.
1: I do not ask them to list those specifically. I ask them to do the negative. Okay. Right. So I say, are there any out there that they know of, you know, that there are none out there that they know of except, and I ask them to list the exceptions. So if they did not list the co-signed student loans, then I would think that the student loan would be subject to the creditor getting the money.
2: I I would think so, too. I just think it's one of those debts that folks don't think of as their own debt.
1: I agree. Um, Did I tell you about the client I met with recently who wanted to know if she had any options about student loans that her father took out in her name that she didn't know about and did not participate in?
2: No, her father took out the student loans.
1: Yeah, and she wanted to know what her recourse would be. And I said, well, unless you're willing to A, sue him under civil theft or B, go after him criminally and try to get out of it that way, I think you're probably going to be liable for those debts with him because he, he co-signed them. I, and I didn't actually see the loan documents, so she very well may have signed them. But what she was saying was she went to college when she was 17 and 18, and she would sign anything that he put in front of her because she didn't know, and she didn't even know about them until she's now 29 years old and married, and a creditor contacted her, and she said she didn't know what they were calling about, and they said, well, these loans.
2: That were not used for her.
1: That were not used for her college education.
2: Yeah, that's a tough situation for her because nobody wants to sue a family member or turn in a family member.
1: And there's not a lot of options to get out from under student debt. Right, right. But that's a topic for an entire other podcast. <laughs> yes, it is.
2: Well, I like the idea of solvency certificates, Merrill, and we have been documenting it in our file, um, but not necessarily through a signed certificate by the client. that um, could see how that would be probably more valuable than just my file notes of these are the questions I asked and this is how the client replied.
1: Yeah, I will be happy to send you our form so you can take a look
2: at it. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we discussed solvency certificates, why clients are asked to sign them and how they protect the client and the advisor. Let us know what you think of this idea. Please contact us at taxbosspodcast.com. In our next episode, we're going to talk about gifting and gift tax implications and why leaving wealth to one person and trusting that person to share it with someone else who is not named in the document is a terrible idea. We'll talk about problems with approaches, unintended consequences, predators, creditors, reporting limits, and requirements for gifting. Until next time, I'm Meryl Bailey. And I'm Crystal Woodbury. Thanks for joining us. Go dazzle your clients like a tax
0: boss. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Law Center in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. The Law Center is a full-service, multi-office law firm serving clients in Colorado, Nebraska, and Kansas. Do your clients need a will or trust or simply a review of their existing estate planning docs? Has someone died and your client needs help maneuvering through the trust administration or probate process? your business owner clients have the documents in place to ensure a smooth transition of the business? Contact the Law Center and let us help you help your clients. The Law Center offers probate and trust administration services throughout Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska, as well as estate asset protection and tax planning assistance. To learn more, visit thelawcenterpc.com.